Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm your host, Josh Downs, and uh, today's episode is episode 46. We're going to be taking a look at the second half of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7 through 13, under the theme, An High Priest of Good Things to Come, which I cannot wait to just share a few thoughts around that theme and that scripture. Probably one of my most favorite titles and even principles as it relates to Christ and, and the gospel. Um, now, last week at the beginning of the episode, I know that we talked a lot about the meaning of names and shared a little bit of an experience that I, I've had and typically in, in helping students understand the significance of meanings behind names. And then I invited you to just, as you're reading, simply watch for any of the names that Paul gives to Christ that has meaning to you and that is significant in any any way as there are are many of them all throughout last week's chapters and this week's chapters as well and so i'll continue to invite you to do that but i'll give you one right away and it's in these chapters that as i mentioned we find one of my favorite names and titles for christ and high priest of good things to come and uh, as i said i'm excited to share a few things surrounding the meaning of that name and its significance to me And I believe that it can have for you as well. The background of these chapters is as follows. Even faithful saints at times suffer reproaches and afflictions that can shake their confidence. Paul knew that Jewish converts to Christianity were experiencing severe persecution because of their new faith. And so to encourage them to stay true to their testimonies, he reminded them of the long tradition of faithful believers from their own history. Abel, Enoch, Noah... Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, and Moses, a cloud of witnesses that God's promises are real and worth waiting for. And this tradition is yours too. It's a heritage of faith shared by all those who look into Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Because of him, whenever adversity makes us want to draw back, we can instead draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. For us, as for the ancient saints, Jesus Christ is our high priest of good things to come. And young people, one of the things that I think is worth pointing out right off the bat is just how much you can relate to the early saints that were converted from Judaism to Christianity. And you may ask, well, how? How do we relate? Well, for them back then, it was not easy to live their faith. The world that they had grown up in was so steeped in Jewish tradition that their new faith and their new religion and the way they practiced and believed it really caused them to stand out, which caused a lot of persecution, a lot of ridicule, uh, a lot of self-doubt and fear. And although the circumstances are very different in the world today, there is no question that if you and when you choose to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will also stand out against the culture of the day. You will stand out against the world. And chances are pretty good, and you've probably experienced it all already, that you might be ridiculed, teased, picked on because of what you believe, looked at differently, looked at as being strange or weird. You will stand out and experience in many ways the difficulty 
that is a part of following the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that stands out very much in contrast to it. Now, one of the reasons that I love an high priest of good things to come has a lot to do with, of course, Elder Holland's talk that he gave under the same title. In fact, probably be referencing a lot of him in here. I think Elder Holland must really like the writings of Paul because he references them quite a bit. And in one of his great talks, probably one of my most favorite, and he, you know Elder Holland has given some amazing talks, this one titled The High Priest of Good Things to Come, he tells just a personal experience of a time where starting out very young and with a new family and a lot of uncertainty and unknown about his future, he made an attempt to travel to, I think it was California from somewhere around the St. George area, to go to school with this little family and basically everything they owned in this old little car. And this car broke down, not once, but twice on the journey, to which he had to walk back to the nearest town to get help. And he mentioned he remembered how frustrated he was, how downtrodden he was, and kind of brokenhearted at this plight that he and this little family of his was in. He referenced that he remembered just how slowly he walked on his way back with his head hanging down and discouragement. But then he contrasted that experience with another experience where years later, much further down the road, where life had turned out pretty well for him, much better than what it was at the time. He was driving in a much newer car, a nicer car, and he was passing that same area. And he had a flashback in his mind of himself walking on the side of the road, head hanging down, discouraged by what was happening in his life. And he imagined looking in his rearview mirror and seeing him walking and wanting to yell out to himself in that moment to keep going, to keep trying. Don't you quit that there is help and happiness ahead <laughs> because Jesus Christ is a high priest of good things to come. And I think one of the reasons that that story of Elder Holland's broken car resonated so much with me is because of my own experience with a broken life. Going through divorce was something that I never wanted to experience. And there have been plenty of times where I felt like Elder Holland, walking along the side of the road, head hanging down, discouraged, thinking that things just couldn't get any better. They weren't going to get any better. That it was always going to be like this. That it was always going to be hard and, and I would forever be broken. And young people, I don't know what you're going through now. I don't know what things you will go through in the future, but I just know that you will go through them and that you, like Elder Holland and like me, will in those moments feel very down, very brokenhearted, very discouraged, depressed, fearful of the future, wanting at times maybe to even just quit and to give up because, yes, it is hard. It is hard to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's hard enough just to live life. But in those moments, Elder Holland invites us, and I invite you, to remember that title of Christ, that he is a high priest of good things to come. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we get into these principles. You're going to see this kind of interwoven, I think, through a lot of the, these chapters and through the principles that we're going to look at today. The first one I want to start with... Um, that can kind of help us in these downtrodden moments, discouraging moments that we have in life, and to better look at Christ as a high priest of good things to come, is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35. 
And the key phrase I want you to mark in here is cast not away, therefore, your confidence. I love that phrase. And we're going to start by reading verse 32, where Paul writes, But call to remembrance the former days in which ye were illuminated. Ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst you ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took a joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. He's referencing that, yes, they may be going through something hard now, that this is very difficult for them to be living this new religion and the change that's going on in their lives, let alone all the ridicule and the persecution that's coming at them. But he is trying to take their minds back to the the things that they first felt and experienced when they were taught the gospel of Christ, when they were taught about who Jesus was and the light and the joy that they felt in coming to know him and understand the gospel that he had taught. He was trying to help them to remember those things that they could hold on to while going through the storm that they were going through. Which then, after remembering those things, he invites them in verse 35, and this is the phrase I want you to mark, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. In other words, the principle for you, the principle for me, the principle for all of us is that when things get hard, we need to hold fast to those times and those experiences that were good, that illuminated us, that filled our our hearts and minds and soul with peace, with comfort, with joy. We need to remember those experiences that got us to where we are. And if you haven't taken the time to take an accounting of those experiences. I would invite you to do so. I think that's one of the values of journaling and writing these things down and why God invites us and wants us to do that so that we have a place to go and to take our mind when things get hard, to remember those things that God had revealed to us, the spiritual experiences that we've had that can become almost an anchor to us, a touch point that we can go back on to find strength to face the present. In another great talk that Elder Elder Holland gave, titled, Cast Therefore Not Away Thy Confidence, he said, It is the plain and very sobering truth that before great moments, certainly before great spiritual moments, there can come adversity, opposition, and darkness. Life has some of those moments for us, and occasionally they come just as we are approaching an important decision or a significant step in our life. And he then said, I wish to encourage every one of you today regarding opposition that so often comes after enlightened decisions have been made, after moments of revelation and conviction have been have given us a peace and assurance that we thought we would never lose. In his letter to the Hebrews, the Apostle Paul was trying to encourage new members who had just joined the church, who undoubtedly had had spiritual experiences and had received the pure light of testimony only to discover that not only had their troubles not ended, but that some of them had only begun. He said it reminds me of President Hubie Brown's statement about marriage. He said that he had always been told that when he got married, he would come to the end of his troubles. So he got married. 
only to discover that they were speaking about the front end (laughs) of his troubles. Referencing Paul's counsel, he continues, in LDS talk, that is to say, sure, it is tough. Before you join the church, while you're trying to join, and after you have joined, that is the way it has always been. Paul said, but don't draw back, he warned. Don't panic and retreat. Don't lose your confidence. Don't forget how you once felt. Don't distrust the experiences you had. That tenacity, he said, is what saved Moses when the adversary confronted him. And that is what will save you. And he's referencing the experience in the Pearl of Great Price where Moses has this incredible experience with God, where God reveals who he is to Moses, refers to him as his son, calls him by name, shows him all these amazing things, all the the worlds that he has created, and really every person on it. And right after that experience, Satan comes knocking, tempting him to worship him and causing him, like he does with us, to feel doubt and fear about those things that we have experienced. But we must not fear. We must not doubt. Elder Holland said, Of course our faith will be tested as we fight through these self-doubts and second thoughts. Some days we will be miraculously led out of Egypt, seemingly free, seemingly on our way, only to come to yet another confrontation, like all that water lying before us. At those times, we must resist the temptation to panic and to give up. At those times, fear will be the strongest of the adversary's weapons against us. The Lord will lead us, as he says in Scripture, to a goodly land. And Elder Holland says, What goodly land? Your goodly land, your promised land, your new Jerusalem, your own little acre flowing with milk and honey, your future, your dreams, your destiny. Boy, doesn't that sound good to get to that place? He said, I believe that in our own individual ways, God takes us to the grove or to the mountain or the temple and there shows us the wonder of what his plan is for us. We may not see it as fully as Moses or Nephi or the brother of Jared did, but we see as much as we need to see in order to know the Lord's will for us and to know that he loves us beyond mortal comprehension. I also believe that the adversary and his pinched, calculating little minions try to oppose such experiences and then they try to darken them after the fact. But that is not the way of the gospel. That is not the way of a Latter-day Saint who claims as the fundamental fact of the restoration, the spirit of revelation. Elder Holland then really is the point of his talk and his message. Invites all of us Don't lose your confidence. Don't forget how you once felt. Don't distrust the experience you had. Again, that tenacity is what saved Moses when the adversary confronted him, and it is what will save you. If you have not read this particular talk, it's under speeches at BYU, and again, it's titled, Cast Not Away, Therefore Your Confidence. It is something that we need to probably read not once, but multiple times throughout our lives when those testing moments come. And some questions I would invite you to consider, young people, about this experience is, number one, what experiences come to mind for you that could be considered an anchor point to your faith? And how did you feel when you experienced that experience? How can remembering that particular experience help you when going through something hard? How have you felt Satan attacking you after 
having a spiritual experience or after deciding to do something good or after having made an important decision? What doubts have you been having about your faith, about the church, about Christ, and about God's plan for you? What would you tell someone else if they were struggling with doubts and fear about the path ahead and about those things? And what would you summarize as to the number one reason for you why you should not, now nor ever, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence in the gospel, in the church, and in Christ. Now, principle two, I'm going to take a look at chapter 11, verse 6, and really a ton of other verses as well. Because after Paul teaches this principle about casting not, therefore, thy confidence away, and using experiences from the past to draw faith to face the present, He actually demonstrates it and he gives them so many examples of faith and and different examples they've had in their past that they can draw faith from. He teaches, first of all, the principle of faith and what it is when he says in verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One of the things I, I want to kind of teach you about faith from my own personal experience is that faith really is a muscle. (laughs) And I think that's one of the reasons why it's referred to as let's exercise our faith. We can treat faith as a muscle. And building faith follows the same kind of pattern as building physical strength or a physical muscle. And I think it's vital that we understand in order to build physical muscle, there has to be a weight involved, something to push against, to pull against, to lift that doesn't want to be lifted, that doesn't want to be pulled or that doesn't want to be pushed. We need that in order to build muscle. And it's the same with faith. If we are to build faith, there has to be an element to push against. I cannot build any muscle just by standing idly by and not being an active participant in doing something hard and doing something difficult. And it's the same with faith. And what's the opposite of faith? Well, the opposite of faith is fear and doubt. Those things are the antithesis of faith. And therefore, it's in those moments and through those things that faith will be built the most. Again, I can't build muscle in moments of complacency and ease. That just will not happen. But in moments that are heavy and that are hard and that push me and my muscles to my limit. In order to build muscle, a muscle has to be taken to failure to the point where it just can't lift anymore. And then you're supposed to do one or two more reps after that. And you know what? That in so many ways is how faith is built. Don't be surprised, young people, if life takes you to the point of failure, to the point of limit where you think you can't do any more and then you have to do just a little bit more. Elder Holland taught that faith to be faith is always in crisis. As Paul says in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then in order to, again, help the people and what they're currently going through, he draws upon example after example 
after example in their past to help them in the present. One of the things that's kind of fun to do is kind of a tool in scripture is whenever you see anything repeated, one, to mark it, and two, to recognize that when things are repeated in scripture, that is a clear indication that something is very important and something is very significant. The Lord often repeats those things that he wants us to see the most. And I would invite you as you go through this particular chapter, chapter 11, to mark the phrase as many times as you see it by faith. I think you'll be surprised just how many times it comes up. Starting in verse 3, through faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated. Uh, Verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God. Uh, By faith, in verse 8, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. Verse 11, through faith, also Sarah herself received strength. You kind of see that the pattern here. Verse 11, it's in verse 17, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 33, 39. Do you see the message? By faith, by faith, by faith. One of the things that I might suggest you do, I think would be of great value, especially to you young people, would be to almost put together a faith journal a place where you can write all of the experiences where things happened to you through faith, whether it happened to you or maybe a friend or maybe a family member, and just begin to collect those. Imagine just how much a record like that can help you in moments when you're going through something hard, help you to cast not therefore away your confidence in God and his plan for you and in Christ. That really is what the scriptures are, and that's what they do for us. We draw faith into our present by reading and studying all of the examples of the past. And that's what Paul's doing here, which gives us a pattern for what we can do when we are going through hard things as well. Now, a couple of key questions for this principle. What moments in your life have you had that have tested you the most? And how have these moments pushed you at times to your limits? And although hard, How have those moments also pushed and stretched your faith? How has your faith grown from having those experiences? Maybe in your own words, from what has been studied and taught here, why are these moments, do you think, so necessary and important for us to have? Another question to consider is maybe what is something that you can tell yourself The next time that you experience something that causes you fear or doubt that is hard or something that challenges your faith, that can help you calm your troubled heart. What is your favorite example in scripture of someone that exhibited great faith and that didn't cast away their confidence in God and in his plan for them? And how can you draw strength from that example? Now, for the last principle today, principle three, I want to take a look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. In these verses, we find probably one of my, again, most favorite titles for Christ, one that is very near and dear to my heart, and one that ties very well into all that we've been discussing so far in this episode. Verse 1 reads, 
Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I just love this title, the author and finisher of our faith, for so many reasons. Young people, one of the things that I try to teach you wherever I go and whenever I speak to anyone of your age group is that Jesus can only become the author and finisher of our faith and of our life story if we willingly turn over the pen to him. In fact, a while back I ordered several hundred pens that just say, give the pen to Christ on it. And I'd love to pass those out to young people as a reminder that yes, it's your story. And your story is the greatest story ever written. There's only one you and the things that you're going through and that you're experiencing are unique to you. But when it comes to your story, do you want to be the one to write it? Or do you want him to? (laughs) I would choose him if I were you because, well, he's God. He knows all. He sees all. And he has the power to make sure everything turns out for the best and is okay in the end. Now, of course, it's much easier said than done. Giving the pen to Christ, trusting him with your life story, especially when things are not going the way that you wanted them to go, will be one of the the hardest things that you'll ever do and one of the greatest wrestles that you'll ever have. Uh, My father, as an example, was in a car accident while serving a mission. A car accident that would rob him of the ability to run and jump and do things normally that others could do for the rest of his life. And he was a tremendous athlete. He played basketball in college as well as baseball and was looking to go professional in baseball. But in an instant, while serving God on his mission, that was all taken away. And of course, this wasn't anything that he ever wanted. To have be a part of his life story and there was a real struggle and a wrestle that he went through in trusting God with the pen to his story and to giving it to him but he did and from that car accident has been woven a beautiful life and a beautiful story it put him on a path that eventually led him to his wife and to our family and to become a seminary and institute teacher, which he was for over 38 years, and to serve as a bishop and a stake president, and to fill his life with joy in so many things. But in the moment, while in the hospital bed, there was struggle, there was anger, there was doubt, there was fear, there was an opportunity to cast away his confidence. But he chose to turn the pen over to Christ and to trust that he is and could be, and will be, the author and finisher of our faith, and of his faith, and of his life story. Trust the Lord, young people. Give him the pen. I know that you have things you want to do, and want to experience, and a general direction for your life that you want it to go, and that is great. And keep moving in that direction, and strive for those things. But most importantly and above all be willing 
to go wherever it is that the Lord will lead you. Accept the challenges that are placed before you and trust that there is a purpose and that not only is he the author of your story, but the finisher of your life story and of your faith. Meaning that in the end, God shall wipe away all tears and welcome you home with open arms and a reward that far exceeded even your wildest imaginations. We never forget that the Apostle Paul also taught, For I hath not seen, neither hath ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I don't know of a more exciting verse in all of Scripture than that. He is basically saying, think of the very best case scenario that you possibly can of what heaven would be like and having God's life and his power would be like. And I can think of some amazing things. Everything from flying to building my own world to building a world of food to swimming in a a pool of ice cream. I I, I mean, I could just go on and on. Having a pet dragon, I, I could just, I get excited even thinking about those things. And what is God saying here? Um, yeah, those things are cool. Yeah, they're, they're good. But you know what? What I have for you is so much better than even that. Because it hasn't even entered into your heart or your mind. You haven't even thought yet anything close to how wonderful and amazing the reward is that I have for those that love me and that trust me with their life story, that allow me to write it in a way that is best for them and have faith that regardless of how it goes and the challenges that are in it, that everything will be okay. Christ truly is a high priest of good things to come. One of my favorite quotes from Elder Maxwell speaks of the importance and the significance and the struggle of giving our life's pen, the pen to our story to Christ, when he said, the submission of one's will is placing on God's altar the only uniquely personal thing that one has to place there. The many other things that we give are actually the things that he has already given or loaned to us. However, when we finally submit ourselves by letting our individual wills be swallowed up in God's will, then we will really be giving something to him. It is the only possession which is truly ours to give. Consecration, or the giving of ourself to God, trusting him with our life's pen thus constitutes the only unconditional surrender, which is also a total victory. A couple questions for you to consider in regards to this principle. Why do you personally want Christ to be the author and finisher of your story? Why can we have faith that in the end, with Christ, everything will be okay? Knowing these things... Why is it still so hard to trust him with the pen to our life? And what can you do to better give that pen to him and allow him to be the author of your story? In what ways is he asking you to put his will above your own? What experiences have you had or seen in the lives of others that testifies to you of Christ's power to take your life story and those hard moments to amazing things and to amazing ends. And lastly, what is something that he's asking you right now to place on his altar that might be hard for you, that maybe you don't want to? 
and will you do it? Remember, as Elder Holland taught, Jesus is a high priest of good things to come. And so no matter what happens, no matter what comes into your life, whatever challenges are placed before you, don't you quit. Don't stop trying. Keep going. There is help and there is hope and there is happiness ahead. Don't, therefore, cast away your confidence. Because some blessings come soon, some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those that embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. As always, everybody, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And He invites us all to come follow me. So let's continue to follow him better this week and hopefully become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens and for Parents of Teens.